0: From WE First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with WE. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with purposeful business and thought leaders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods you can use to build your bottom line and a better future for all of us. Today I'm joined by Wes Carter, the president of Atlantic Packaging Corporation, the 75-year-old and largest privately owned packaging company in the US. From creating packaging that uses more recyclable materials to leading critical policy change. wheres and Atlantic Packaging are living up to the moral obligation to care about environmental issues. And we'll discuss why it's so critical for the packaging industry and everyone who uses it to transform how they take their products to market. And also inspiring innovations that are taking plastic and waste out of our supply chains to better serve our future. And how the power of radical collaboration can allow us to serve both our bottom lines and the planet we share. So, Wes, welcome to Lead With We.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Wes, you know, for those who don't know Atlantic Packaging, this is a third-generation company. This is something you've been involved with your entire life. I've always been fascinated by generational organizations. What was it like? Is this something that you wanted to step into from the outset, or did your father or grandfather coerce you?
1: You know, uh it, Atlantic has obviously just been a part of my life since since uh, I can I can remember. Um, you know, my grandfather started the company in 1946, uh and my father has run it since uh, 1972 and uh, there was a point in my life where, you know, when I was getting out of school trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I wasn't sure necessarily that Atlantic was it, you know, when you're young and you're trying to sure. find your way. Um However, I knew that my my grandfather and my father had built an organization that was highly respected. Uh, they did it the right way. They treated people well. Uh, my father's always had a reputation for being an incredibly shrewd entrepreneur and a fair business person. And so uh, I, re- I remember there was a moment when I said, you know, um, this is a heck of an opportunity for me. Uh, I'm going to uh, invest some time here and see if there's a fit for me. Um, and it turned out that there, that there was.
0: And what are some of the memories way from way back when, when you were just growing up, when you had this generational business? I'd be fascinated to hear sort of did you walk around the factories? Did you see the innovations? Did it capture your imagination back then?
1: Well, you know, the, the company has been through a lot of evolutions. We actually started as a weekly newspaper. Um, and when I was a kid, uh, Atlantic obviously was a lot smaller back then. And we were more of a regional uh packaging and paper house, um and so my memories of like going to visit my grandfather at his office in Tabor City um there was still you know a lot of newspaper printing presses around, and um back then we were selling you know pens and pencils and office supplies and things like that. so um I remember those days from when I was a really young kid. Um, and, you know, our original packaging business was focused on the textile industry. So we were doing a lot of paperboard converting for the textile industry then. Uh, we still do today. Uh, but back then, that was a, a bulk of our business. Um, and then I started working in the warehouse uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, when I was a teenager, um, which was real work, you know, in the southeast United States in July. It's, uh, it's warm working in a warehouse. sure learned how to drive a forklift and got exposed you know mainly to the to the people of Atlantic i think that was really the first thing that drew me in was uh i recognized that this organization that my father had created uh that my grandfather had founded it had a really unique culture uh people who were really committed to the organization and um and so yeah like my early memories are sweeping floors and learning how to drive forklifts and I think I even ran into a few things along the way and knocked some right. things over, um, but yeah, I got you know my, my dad always wanted me to learn from the ground up, so um, you know I, I did a lot of different jobs. I mean I even drove a delivery truck for a while, um, which was probably a little dangerous for a 16 year old kid but um, it was sort of trial by fire I totally get it, and when you took over leadership,
0: you know you saw the rise of sustainable practices inside the company was that? already underway or was that something that you brought to the table because you were so passionate about it
1: well you know when i first joined the company it was probably 20 plus years ago and and like i said i worked my way up through the organization and and did lots of different jobs and um and then once i became president um you know that was about the time where sustainability was starting to be a buzzword in packaging walmart had released the sustainability scorecard and you know so you were starting to hear about sustainability but it was really it was one of those things where it was kind of an add on, you know, like right. cu- customers were interested in sustainability as sort of a, an extra value add. Hey, if you can give me a nice value proposition and save us money, and also it can be more sustainable, we'll check that box. But it wasn't necessarily a priority for most organizations. And, you know, the our packaging business traditionally had been a lot of business to business packaging, like logistical packaging, where we're um packaging unit loads pallets of goods that are that are traveling through the supply chain um but with you know once i became president you know we're in an age of technology where e-commerce is becoming more and more prevalent and so our packaging business was still dominated by business to business but more and more uh we were servicing customers that were shipping parcels direct to consumers you know with this rise of e-commerce and so um, and, and that is that trend has continued and continued and continued. And so a lot of the traditional packaging that goes into parcel packaging is single-use plastic. Um, and so I began to, along with our leadership, we began to recognize that the things were changing. We were servicing multiple parts of the supply chain. And a lot of the packaging that we were selling was ending up in the hands of the consumers and had the potential um to end up in the environment. And so um all those things really culminated for me over the last several years. Uh but really you know the the evolution of my awakening to um our impact on things like, you know, plastic pollution and how we could influence uh, a transition away from that really coincided with just how our economy evolved and how technology evolved and just the rise of e-commerce where uh, so much more packaging was going to the homes of, of everyday, um, everyday humans all over the globe, really.
0: That's so true during COVID. I mean, all our lives have been funneled through our front door in a sense. What's it like sitting front and center at the forefront of this debate? Because on the one hand, packaging touches almost every business's life. And at the other hand, it also is perhaps the biggest opportunity to, you know, manage waste and control our impact on the environment. And you're sitting at the intersection of, you know, the demands of business and the demands of the environment. So, does it feel like a
1: hot seat? What, what's it like? You know, it, it honestly, it feels more like a privilege. Um, it feels more like a privilege. You know, you, you mentioned COVID. I, I do believe, and I talk about this a lot, that one of the silver linings for COVID Uh, was it created an awareness of packaging and packaging waste um, that I'm not sure any other scenario could have created. I mean, a global pandemic where you send uh, people all over the world home for two years. And at that same time, we were at an intersection with technology where you could get anything delivered to your house from your telephone. And so And one of the big moments for me, honestly, I was driving through my neighborhood and I saw every trash can and every recycling bin just overflowing with packaging, you know, and and I had friends that were reaching out to me and saying, hey, man, I've got all this, you know, packaging at my house. I don't know how to dispose of it. I don't know what's recyclable. And, you know, I'm talking with the leadership at Atlantic and we just started to become aware that, you know what, we are actually in a in a really significant position. To have an influence on on this and what we didn't have in the past was consumer awareness you know know, people just didn't really think about where the bubble wrap goes or where the foam packaging you know it was just this is just the stuff that gets my products to my house Uh, but all of a sudden with covid because there was such an enormous glut of all of that stuff going to everyone's houses people started asking those questions and You know, Atlantic is a unique company in the fact that we sit in the middle of the supply chain. We don't manufacture a lot of packaging. We distribute packaging. We consult on packaging. We do a lot of packaging optimization where we're working with large consumer products companies on how to use the least amount of packaging possible. We work a lot uh, with customers on how to reduce damage in the supply chain. So, We sit between all of these manufacturers of packaging and the consumer products companies and the e-commerce companies that are using packaging. So just the nature of Atlantic, it put us in this privileged position to be kind of an impartial proving ground. I I like to tell customers we're the arbiters of truth. Um, and, And some of that's just by the nature of where we sit. We have the ability to go out into the marketplace and evaluate packaging based solely on sustainability. I mean, we can look and right. say, "What do we believe the most sustainable types of packaging are?" And then present that to the marketplace, you know, based on the criteria that we develop, um, you know, and, and our perspective on on what we believe to to be the most circular and uh, and to keep you know pollution out of our environment. So it's really a privileged position, and that was a big moment for me personally, and I think for a lot of our leadership when we realized you know as the largest privately held packaging company in North America with a seat at the table with all these large consumer products companies if we would advocate for sustainable packaging and more than just advocate we're in a position to facilitate the transition like we could have a real impact and and when 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 we all sat around the table and said guys this is where we sit it felt like the universe saying hey this is what you're really here to do and so from that point forward we we really committed all of our energy to doing that work. And it's an, an evolution. We continue to refine our offering and we continue to talk to to customers and, and consumers and people in the recycling infrastructure uh, just to, to, be, to better understand how we can support sustainability on a really large scale.
0: And I mean, you mentioned sitting around the boardroom table and just saying this is our role within the universe. This is what we've got to do. Was it hard to convince the board to do that? Was it hard? Because one of the great sort of tensions we hear out in the marketplace is, you know, we don't have the time. We don't have the capital. When, when we're back on level footing, when we don't have a crisis, you know, next quarter, next year, these investments in capital and time to transition to sustainable practices, yes, they're being driven by consumer demand, but they put pressure on the business. So, you know, how did you make that decision and really convince the entire leadership team to absorb those costs?
1: It's really less about absorbing the costs and more about how do we use technology to optimize packaging, you know, to offset the increase in material costs. You know, it's really about looking at the total cost uh, of of the the whole packaging you know platform, and you know, everything can't always cost more. But in many cases, you know, a lot of what we're doing in sustainability too is right sizing packaging, so everyone's received a package to their house, whether it be a mailer or a box. It's like the product in it is a lot smaller than, than, than the box or the mailer itself.
0: I've got that one packet of batteries that has like a massive box all around it. I think we all have once, you know.
1: Right, exactly. And so we talk a lot about right-sizing packaging. So if you can right-size packaging, um, you may be able to go to a higher quality maybe even more expensive material that is potentially a lot more sustainable but will offset those costs by you know right sizing the packaging and reducing packaging waste. So right. it's not in in most cases it's not a one for one and I think that's one of the reasons a company like Atlantic can really bring a lot of value to to the marketplace because we built our whole business on the science of packaging, the technology of packaging. So we're We're looking at packaging equipment. We're looking at materials. We've got this tremendous technical service arm. We've got this R&D center in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we're really looking at it holistically and delivering solutions to our customers that take into account all of these different costs. And if you do that really effectively, in many cases, we can present a sustainable solution that can actually create cost savings. Uh, or be at a minimum cost neutral. And that's not always true, but that's our goal because the reality is if we can find a way to bring a sustainable packaging solution to a customer and it is cost neutral or there's a cost savings, well, then it happens a lot faster. Right. You know, so I will say more and more consumer products companies are willing to invest more for sustainable solutions. And a lot of that's being driven by consumer demand. However, you know, we're always looking to find a way to tailor it in a way where it is extremely cost effective because, again, it's about expediency. And to me, when you look at the problems of plastic pollution, you know, the, the, the time to, to solve these problems is now. So right. uh, if I can if I can create you know, programs and systems in packaging to make these things happen faster, uh, then that that helps everybody, including the environment.
0: No, the time is now. I mean, these timelines are contracting towards us as we speak. And one of the things that, you know, I guess consumers probably worry about is that sometimes you see brands out there talking about their environmental commitments, yet at the same time when their product arrives, there's all this packaging associated with it. So you almost have a responsibility on behalf of the brands out there that use your products and so on. And so how do you kind of work with companies, with brands in terms of making sure... At the worst, it's purpose washing. At at, at the best, it's sort of like you know the necessary evils of getting a product out to their customer. How do you calibrate all of that?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that we've talked to our you know our customers a lot about, and which I believe is absolutely true, is today I believe that packaging is a brand attribute. I believe that you know everyday consumers are judging brands, uh, the ethics of those brands based on their packaging, at least in part. And so we talk to our customers about that a lot, you know, that let, let us help you create a sustainable packaging platform for your products um, and, your, and your customers are going to reward you for that. Uh, and we see that more and more. So that, that's a big part of, of how we support those guys is helping them you know, understand what the right solutions are that, that their customers will respond to.
0: It sounds a bit geeky, but I like you get jazzed up about packaging because I see such an innovation opportunity. You've got packaging being developed from mushrooms or mycelium. You, you hear talk of enzymes that can break down plastic packaging. You almost look at the natural world as well, and so much of packaging, in a sense, in the natural world, performs a sort of a use in an organic sense or a regenerative sense. What are some of the innovations that you're excited about in the like that either you're doing or that you're seeing in the packaging space that you think are pointers to where it's all headed?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the most exciting things about being in our industry right now. Um, the, um, I, I, in my 20 plus years in this business, I have never seen anything that was a catalyst for innovation like sustainability is right now. It is driving everybody in packaging to bring new and creative solutions to the marketplace. And it feels like every few months we have the opportunity to bring Something new and creative that you know to the marketplace that's never been done before. So, um, you, you know, you mentioned mycelium packaging. Uh, that's something I'm really excited about. Um, it's it's got its place, you know. And like a lot of these new uh, packaging products, you've got to find the right application for them. You know, um, certain types of of organic packaging, for instance, like mycelium, that have to be grown. You know, it's not tremendously scalable. So you got to right. find products that are like, you know, more luxury item type products, high value type items where the cost of the packaging is a lower percentage of the overall, you know, product itself. So we we, we look at things like that. But again, uh, I'm really excited about things like that. I'm really excited about really all of these fiber based solutions in general, um, because the reason that we really support fiber based solutions is if it's fiber based, you know, and in this country, that's primarily wood fiber, paper products. It's curbside recyclable pretty much everywhere. Um, It's made from renewable resources. And if it ends up in the environment, you know, in most cases in about 90 days, you know, it's going to be gone. So um, that's really where we focused a lot of our uh, attention and and energy with our partners is in developing more and more of these fiber-based solutions. And so um, there's a lot of creative things happening in in the world of paper where, um, you know, Machines that are folding paper and creating padding and things like that in really creative ways to protect products and shipping. Um, you know many things like that that are that are coming to market. Um, and we're developing a lot of things as well. We developed a product called the Fishbone, which is um, a really innovative fiber-based product to replace your traditional six-pack rings for uh, you know like a six-pack of of, of drinks. Um, and it's a fully fiber-based solution. Uh, it was invented by some guys in California. And we've helped them bring that to market.
0: You're asking an Australian if he knows what a six-pack of beer is. Well and truly uh, familiar with that. No, that's amazing. The fishbone, like, I think, what is it made out of? Help people understand, like, what is it actually? Is it fibers that are reconstituted? Is it recycled?
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's all made from paperboard. It's all made from, from virgin paperboard. Um, just like, you know, just like a, any other paper product, you know, we, we, we buy the uh, paperboard from a paper mill in Europe that's actually a carbon-neutral paper mill. Um, and we, we convert and print those products in house and, uh, we can customize them. We print them, you know, we can do six packs and four packs and different types of cans. And we're working on a lot of products right now. And, you know, there are a lot of people in the beverage industry, a lot of large beverage companies that have made big commitments to be plastic free. Uh, some of those commitments are as soon as 2025. And so that's the other really exciting thing too. And again, I, I can't, you know, reiterate it enough the thing that is driving sustainability and that can change things the quickest is the people. <laughs> consumers right. at the end of the day have the power. And it's one of the reasons I like doing interviews like this is just to get the word out there that really the power is in the hands of the consumers and uh consumer products companies want to serve customers and as we as the public, you know, demand and uh, reward companies that are making really good decisions about sustainability in their products and their packaging. That That's how this happens, um, you know, the quickest and the most effectively. So yeah. again, lots of really cool things coming to market. Uh, and again, what we're primarily focused on is finding, you know, new and innovative products to replace single-use plastic. Again, There's a lot of plastic in the marketplace that is absolutely necessary. We certainly don't have a war on plastic. But the area that we think is really problematic is single-use plastic that ends up at the homes of everyday people. Because we have to acknowledge that if it ends up at your house or my house, the likelihood that it ends up in the environment is just much higher. And so knowing that, you know, we really want to lean into fiber-based solutions. Um, and again, there's some really cool innovations in things like hemp packaging. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of hemp. I mean, hemp is an amazing plant. Uh, one of the hurdles we have towards hemp packaging right now is we don't really have a lot of pulping infrastructure for hemp. Mm-hmm. We got paper mills all over the country that can pulp wood really well, but you don't pulp hemp the same way. So, you know, a lot of what's going on right now is how do we create the infrastructure to process a lot of these products, you know, even with the mycelium packaging, that just the, the, the there's not a lot of scale there right now. But again, as customers start to uh, demand these type of products, and, and maybe demand's the wrong word, it's really reward uh, the consumer products companies bringing these products to market. Um, the investment in sustainable packaging and new innovations will continue to grow, and I think it it really at light speed.
0: Is this where policy comes in, though? Because I mean. You know, as you say, there's this really positive consumer input where they're demanding changes, but then you say as well that the, 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 the mills that actually can pulp hemp and other things aren't there, they aren't in place sufficiently yet. I mean, the timelines we're working against are very, very short. You see large companies out there talking about 2050, 2040, you know, 2030, and I don't feel like they're close enough. So how do we unlock this tension between the infrastructure that can answer the consumer needs in the context of the timelines we're working against
1: yeah I, the, the timelines concern me too I mean uh, the most recent studies are showing that humans are putting about 10 million tons of plastic into the oceans every single year it's growing exponentially I think that's a surprise to most people by the year 2040 the uh, expectations are at the current rates we'll be putting 29 million tons of plastic in the ocean so we're gonna triple the rate of plastic in the ocean, and that's every single year. Oh um, God. in in less than twenty years, and and I, I we talk I talk about this with folks a lot. I mean, it's been a big you know moment. I mean, a, a big a realization for me. Really, this whole phenomenon of single use plastics is pretty new. I mean, they really weren't prevalent in our society until late eighties, nineties. But for most of us who are you know my age and younger, you know. We've always lived with plastics. We just sort of a, you know, innately assume that this is the way it's always been, and it hasn't. Right. So this problem of plastic pollution is very new, and my concern is we ain't seen nothing yet. I've actually been advocating uh, with, with anybody in government who will listen to me. Anyone who will listen, um, yeah. <laughs> anyone who will listen to me that we need to be treating um, infrastructure, Packaging equipment in particular that supports sustainable materials, just like we treat solar panels. You know right now, if you put solar panels on your business, there's a 26 percent federal tax credit. Well, that's a big deal. And Atlantic packaging, you know, we've put uh, solar panels throughout the, our whole network of facilities, and we're continuing to do that. And that 26 percent federal tax credit was a big help. I mean, it made the ROI much more um, palatable for us. And I believe if the federal governments around the world would look at sustainable packaging equipment in the same way and tell the consumer products companies, we're going to give you a tax incentive if you invest in equipment to run more sustainable materials, I think you would see a renaissance. I mean, I think there would be massive investment. Uh, It would be good for the economy. It would create jobs. And and it would also help uh, the urgency of this issue. So- Again, I believe that that should be a high priority for, for you know, the U.S. government and other governments around, uh, around the world. But yeah, I got to get somebody to listen to me.
0: Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think you just got to keep shouting and shouting and getting more, you know, to that point, you can't do it on your own. I mean, you know, the CEO of Unilever, Alan Jobes, said that, you know, there's only so much we can do on our own. We need the entire CPG industry to level up. What are you doing with other packaging companies? How are you rallying or marshalling your combined force to drive change, whether it's on the policy level or, you know, on the local level, even, you know, local governments or state governments?
1: Well, again, um, it's honestly one of the things I love about sustainability, and there's a lot of love about sustainability, but it is begging us to collaborate. I mean, there is not one human, there's not one government, there's certainly not one company that can solve this problem it is requiring massive collaboration across the supply chain. And, you know, that energy um, really is catching on. And I think what it is asking all of us to do is collaborate in a much more transparent way. And so whether it's the packaging suppliers that I work with or the consumer products companies that we serve, uh, we sit around the table uh, these days and the way those negotiations have transitioned now that sustainability is such a priority, um, I believe is really healthy. I mean, there's a lot more give and take. It's not the negotiations are a lot less win-lose, you know, (laughs) it's more of a, hey, we've got a common goal here. We all want to be more sustainable. We we, we need to do it in a way that is cost-effective for our business. We're willing to make investments. How can you guys help here are some areas that are really problematic for us. Here's some products that are really problematic for us that we know we need to eliminate. We're just not sure how to do it. And so we get around the table. Maybe we bring in one of our suppliers and we say, you know, we got to create a product or maybe it's a system, you know, maybe uh, we're working on a lot of closed loop systems between businesses where traditional packaging would just get discarded and end up in a landfill. Well, In a lot of these areas of supply chain, no one's ever really explored, well, what would it look like if instead of just discarding that packaging, if we bailed it, consolidated it, recycled it, turned it into post-consumer resin, and then kept that in circulation? Well, that's an achievable thing to do, but only through a radical amount of collaboration between multiple parties, you know. Um, And so that's one of the things we're working on a lot. And again, I think that's a really healthy thing. It's also a lot of fun uh, because we're creating new systems um, in the economy that that haven't been there before. At the end of the day, businesses are just full of human beings. And I really believe on the backside of COVID coming out of it, there is a real sense that we all need to be better stewards of the planet and that you know, sustainability and a healthy ecosystem, a healthy earth should be a priority for all people and, and should be the priority for all people. Everything else sort of pales in comparison. So let's collaborate to figure out how to do that. Understanding that we need to keep our businesses healthy too. You know, we can't all go out yeah. of business trying to do that because the, the private sector created a lot of these problems, even if it was inadvertent. And my perspective is the private sector, the supply chain that created these problems is the only place that's going to be able to fix
0: it. Well, you and I couldn't agree more. And you know, lead with we is all about this—the power of collaborative leadership, how we work together in new ways to achieve this. And I also think consumers are on the hook, Wes, because you know, in my mind, there's a lot of talk of stakeholder capitalism and the sharing the benefits of it, but there's not enough talk about sharing and the responsibilities. And I'm starting to see companies like Hasbro do less packaging less for their you know toys still they have packaging but they're thinking in an innovative way about doing less packaging or you're seeing Starbucks recently announced that they are asking people to bring their own reusable cups into the store and then you actually pay when you buy one of their you know the cups that they provide for you so they're trying to re address you know consumer behavior do you work with companies in that sense and are you seeing a lot of that trend as well
1: Yes, we've noticed that absolutely, and I really believe that one of the beauties of technology and the technology age that we are in is we have the ability to share those stories and tell those stories uh, on such a broad scale. And so, you know, you hear a lot about um, the shadow side of social media and things like that. However, in, in in this world, you want to talk about collaboration. We've never had a tool. Uh, that allows us to collaborate globally in real time like we do today, and so one of the things that we 're trying to do at Atlantic uh and with the initiative we launched uh, called a New Earth project is it really is an initiative to celebrate uh and share those wins uh because you know what we can celebrate what one company's doing and it will influence other companies you know like we're working a lot in the outdoor industry right now. Uh, because obviously the outdoor industry is hugely focused on sustainable packaging. I mean, the the outdoors is the backdrop for their business, so it's just right. a very logical place. And so we're we're using their stories of transition to really celebrate and and tell those stories uh, with media. We're at a point in the evolution uh, of our world where we have all the tools, if you know, in, to to collaborate to solve these problems today. Um, we have tools like we've never had in in the history of human existence. And I think that's a really powerful thing.
0: Help us understand what did it take to achieve that? And are you trying to model things for the, you know, model behaviors for the rest of the industry?
1: Sure. Well, I I really believe as a sustainable packaging company, you really have to walk the walk. It's important that if we're out there uh, advocating for sustainable packaging, um, that we are also, um, doing, uh, implementing sustainable practices within our own organization. And we have a very large organization. So, uh, we, we've looked at our entire carbon footprint. We're a member of the carbon disclosure project. So, uh, we disclose our carbon every year. Um, and we also wanted to be a zero waste company as well. So, uh, the zero waste process, Uh, really was about going to all of our operations and we have manufacturing operations and distribution operations and really just look at what we're throwing away, Um, going into the trash compactors um, and the dumpsters and start pulling stuff out. And what we found in a lot of our operations was a fair amount of plastic waste, things like stretch film, um, a lot of corrugated and wooden pallets. And so... Um, we put together programs we we put balers throughout our entire network, and we started baling our stretch film. We started baling our corrugated and then having that those products recycled. Uh, and then we organized a, a program corporately on our wood pallet waste to have that uh, collected and reprocessed and turned into you know new pallets and, and and other types of wood products. So really, it was just about excavating our dumpsters. Um, and then, you know, finding new outlets uh, to to ha- to keep those products in circularity, um, and there was a lot of work that went went into that, and there was certainly some investment. I mean, in, in buying balers and things like that, and and training uh, our employees on what we wanted to do. But uh, at Atlantic, we've had an incredible culture uh, of of humans who really believe in this mission, um, and um, and and so you know, there's. Having, having the, the employees really on board with something like zero waste ha, has been really important. So we were really excited to, to achieve that certification. And, uh, and we're continuing to make other investments in, uh, in, in reducing our carbon. Uh, we're investing in electrification of, uh, of our fleet. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, we we're putting solar throughout our, uh, our entire network. Uh, we've gone to all electric forklifts. Uh, energy efficient lighting, really any area where we feel like we can make improvements uh, in our environmental footprint, we are doing that. Uh, I'm passionate about it. I think all companies should be taking a hard look at that. But certainly, as someone out there in the supply chain who is positioned as what we believe to be the most sustainable packaging company in the world, or at least that's our goal, uh, we got to walk the walk.
0: Yeah, you have to walk the walk. I mean, you can't inspire others to change unless you do it yourself. As you say, so, Wes, as we reimagine, you know, the packaging industry and even business more broadly, what can we learn from nature?
1: To me, nature is the perfect teacher for circularity. Circularity is sort of the buzzword that we hear. We're all trying to create circul- circular economy, circularity in packaging. And we have the greatest example of circularity all around us. Um, in, in nature, there's lots of trash you know, things die, things rot, but there's zero waste. Nature just naturally is a zero waste environment. And so as we look at modeling modern day human systems, um, I believe nature is a great place to look. It's a great example uh, of circularity. And so we're never going to be as sophisticated as nature. I don't think that can be the goal. But again, it gives us a great place to look. So as we're creating these human systems, understanding that anywhere we can create uh, areas to reduce the amount of waste or recapture waste and keep things in circularity. uh, That should always be the goal. And again, we have the perfect backdrop and the perfect example all around us every day.
0: And, you know, we've touched on a lot of the concerns where's the you and I share, but like what of all things, what keeps you up at night right now? What would you say is that thing where you're just like, oh my God, we've really got to solve for this?
1: I think the thing that concerns me the most is the the waste collection and recycling infrastructure globally is so broken. Um and it's it's pretty it's pretty broken here in the United States. Um we don't even have recycling standards. Uh, For the most part, um, most of the municipal recycling facilities around the country are privately held. And many of those groups do a great job. It's just not very cohesive. And then when you go to third world countries, I mean, recycling, they don't even have waste collection in a lot of these countries. And so the amount of plastic and other types of, you know, waste and toxic chemicals and things like that that are leaching into our environment is happening at such an alarming rate. that. Our, our world being able to turn the tap off and create systems to, um, to stop that um, is, is very urgent. and and, and, that's, and that's a difficult thing, trying to create global coordination on waste collection and recycling. And you do hear a lot out there in the world about upgrades to recycling and what we're going to do in these third world countries and making these investments. And I think all of that stuff is really good. Uh, those are good things to do. I just don't know that we can create global circularity uh, in uh, an expedited amount of time to have the impact that we need to have. And so right. one of the reasons that I'm really focused on transitioning away from a lot of single-use plastic is I do believe globally as a supply chain, if we could transition away from a lot of single-use plastics and do that in the next three to five years, that could have a really big impact, really, really quickly. Um, and is it a panacea? Maybe not, but it's the thing that I think that can happen the fastest and can be the most effective globally. But again, the thing that keeps me up at night is how do we create global circularity, waste collection, recycling, advanced recycling all over the world and in a lot of impoverished places. Um, you know, it's going to take first world countries like the United States. Like Australia, like Canada, like countries all over Europe, really um, making decisions that the, the oceans know no borders. You know, healthy rivers and lakes and oceans are a priority for all humans, regardless of what your address is. Um, and so I do think it is going to take uh, a radical amount of collaboration, really globally, uh, in order to do this. But again, that one, that one concerns me a lot.
0: And, you know, often the practical, execution that you're talking about won't happen without a shift in mindset beforehand. What do you think is the unlock that has to happen? Is it that we're talking about it in alarming terms and that demotivates people? Is it that we're not rewarding companies or consumers that are showing up in new ways? Like From a mindset point of view, what needs to shift so that we can prioritize these new you know, uh, activations?
1: to me finger pointing um just is uh, a wasted effort um you know we can we can point fingers and say this company's doing it wrong or it's this this organization's fault or it's you know the 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 problem is littering in third world countries i've heard that excuse before i, I just don't think e- even if some of those things maybe you could argue are true i just don't think any of that is very productive right to me we really need to be celebrating the wins we need to be working together and and collaborating and saying look at this new system that we've created look at what starbucks has done or look at what you know uh, a major consumer products company is doing from a circularity perspective this is working let's celebrate this how do we replicate this over and over and over again and and really to me, it's about storytelling. I think humans respond to storytelling better than anything. I mean, we are storytellers by nature. And for me, like what really moves the needle is to be inspired. And I think the stories of change and transition and inspiration are what can create this momentum and continue this momentum in a, in a really uh, expedited way. And again, the whole purpose of a New Earth project was to create. Uh, a platform for celebrating the wins. It's about all of us cheering each other on and going, hey guys, let's do this. We can do this. We can collaborate. We can do this together. And let's not spend so much time pointing fingers at each other and trying to figure out whose fault it was. I mean, I really don't believe any human being or organization or government went out intentionally to pollute the environment. It has been an unintended consequence of progress Um, maybe we've been naive, certainly you can make that argument, but again, all of that's in the past. All we've got is right now. All we've got is right now. And to me, uh, the solution for right now is radical collaboration. It is about we, it is about understanding that in order for this to work, everyone has to win. You know, when we, when we're having these negotiations between companies and we all have to have this goal of a healthy, clean planet primary. You know, and again, we have to create solutions that are equitable for businesses. Uh, everybody can't lose money and go out of business doing this, but we all have to have this common goal. And again, I believe celebrating the wins and promoting those wins, and then, you know, working with other companies to figure out how we can create even, even more sophisticated systems is the way to go.
0: You know, Wes, I couldn't agree more radical collaboration so we can meet these timelines. And meet these challenges with equal force. So thank you for the example you're setting at Atlantic Packaging. Thank you for your walking the talk yourself. Thank you for the new Earth project, especially as a surfer who cares deeply about the oceans. And, you know, we look forward to seeing how you and the entire industry can help transform our future moving forward. Thanks, Wes.
1: Thank you very much. Well, I will leave you with one last thing. We are launching a new EarthProject.com on Earth Day this year. So A lot of these sustainable fiber-based products will be available on that website for businesses, small, medium, and large businesses alike. Uh, We're also launching a series um, called A New Earth Project that will be featuring uh, all of these stories uh, of surfers and advocacy uh, around the world. So uh, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: So definitely check out the newer series and the products because this is how you become part of the solution. Thank you so much, Wes.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. You can always find out more information about our guest, Wes Carter, in the show notes of this episode. And follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Plus, you can now find us on United Airlines In Flight Entertainment as well. And be sure to watch our episodes on our YouTube channel, We First TV. Finally, if you want to dive deeper into the world of purposeful business, check out my new book called Lead With We, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books. Lead With We is produced by Goal 17 Media, and I'll see you again soon. And until then, let's all lead with we.